gotten up out of your chair and went into the kitchen and then forgot why you went in there. How many of you that's becoming more frequent in your life? How many of you have ever called someone up and they said, hey, and you're like, yeah, what's up? I, I just, I'm really comforted by hearing the soothing tones of your voice right now. I, I don't actually know why I called you. How many of you have ever been talking on your phone? and started looking for your phone. <laughs> How many of you have ever been talking on your phone and started yelling at your kids because you know they took your phone? Where's my phone, you little reprobate? And they're like, you are losing your mind, Dad. How many of you have ever looked for your glasses? Now, I don't know how I do this because I wear Hubbles, as Brother Wickland likes to say. I have really bad eyesight. It's impossible for me to function at any reasonable, healthy level without glasses on. So I don't know how I ever think I've lost my glasses when I can see, but I do sometimes. No, the point, the point is this. We can, we can take motion that doesn't necessarily have purpose or we forget why we are taking that motion. Get up to do something and, and, and know, man, I had a reason for doing this, but now I don't know what it was. I've, I've talked to, when talking to men about preaching, and even with the teaching the youth class this morning, at one point in the lesson, I was telling them a story. And then it, I stopped and I said, I don't remember why I was telling you this story. And then in a minute, it came back. But we, we take action sometimes or that either they don't have purpose or we forget what the purpose is. Yeah, how many of you have ever been guilty of picking up your phone and then, and then you think, why did I even pick this up? And it's not that you had a reason to pick it up, it's just you're in the habit of picking it up. We take actions and we either forget the purpose or we take actions that have no purpose. This is amazing about Jesus as you study the Gospels Every action was intentional, every action was deliberate, every action was on purpose with a very specific purpose in mind. Now when you study the disciples and their response to him, they didn't always understand the purpose. But just because we don't understand the purpose doesn't mean there was not purpose. And when Jesus took the action that we read about in verse number 11, there was purpose. First of all, notice this, that Jesus came. The village or the city, and when you read what historians say about it, it, was a, it, was, it had more similarity to a small town or a country village than a large metropolis area. The city or the village of Nain was about six miles southeast of Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. And there was little about it that it would make it significant. What people say about it that have studied those regions in those times, that it probably was so small that it may not have even had an actual wall around it, but it did have a central entry point. 
And as many of you know in studying your Bibles, the gate of the city didn't only serve as the main entry point, but it also served as the main meeting place. It had legal significance. It was significant to the structure of that city. And so it has, it has this gate. It has this central entry point. It has this meeting area. And so Jesus, he comes to Nain. And we read that he's followed by, in verse 11, by many of his disciples and much people. And as they go, they might have been thinking something like this. Well, why are we going this way? Well, there's nothing, there's nothing on this road except the next town is, is Nain. And there's nothing in Nain. There's not really anything happening. Is there something going on that we didn't, that we didn't know about? And I'm amazed at how many times we think nothing's going on because we don't know about it. And yet God can be doing some amazing things in people's lives. God can be working in ways that we don't even see. So what is it, what is it that's going on in Nain? And Jesus doesn't give any explanation. He's talking as he would do when he walked. People are talking amongst themselves because there's so many of them. But he is moving in a direction. And this is what you can be sure of. Even if you don't understand the purpose, Jesus was moving in the direction to this city on purpose. He came there for a reason. It wasn't just that, man, I don't know which way I'm going to go today. Let me check the wind. I feel like going this way, or I feel like going this way, or I feel like taking a detour. No, there was an intentional reason that he went this way. Look, it may not seem like it to you, but God is working on purpose and for a purpose in your life. Now, some of you might have come here, whether you're new or you've been here many times, you might have come here with a specific purpose in mind. But there is a God who knows what's going on in your life even far better than you do, and he knows what you need far better than you do, and he has something specific that he is trying to accomplish for your good. And you think you came here for one reason, but he is coming here to meet you for an entirely different and much better, more significant reason oftentimes telling you God is at work. You say, well, my, my circumstances don't seem to indicate that God is even aware of me. The things that I'm going through don't, even, don't seem to indicate that there's any point. The things that I have experienced and I'm dealing with don't seem to indicate that God has any purpose for my life or that I can have any purpose for God because of decisions that I've made or that my life can be useful to God because of decisions that other people have made. I'm telling you, God doesn't waste energy and he is active and he is working on purpose for a purpose in your life. You look around and say, I don't know where we're headed with this. No, have you ever felt that way? I don't know where we're going with all this. No, I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about in those moments when you're depressed. I'm talking about in the uncertainty. I'm talking about when you're dealing with cancer. I'm talking about when you're dealing with the death of a loved one. I'm talking about when your marriage is in shambles. I'm talking about when your children are rebelling or your parents are failing. I'm talking about when your heart is hurt so deep. Have you ever looked at the direction and the current circumstances of your life and thought, I don't know where this is going? I'm telling you there's a God who is working on purpose. He's moving in a direction. And he's trying to work on purpose in your life for a purpose Jesus came. The second reason, or the second thing that we see, the reason Jesus came is because Jesus cares. 
as they reach the town gate, they see a very troubling scene. I don't, I don't enjoy, and please don't misunderstand, I'm thankful that I get to do what God has called me to do. But I've seen some really hard things, as you have. Remember one time in, in Oklahoma, preaching the funeral for a young mother who had lost her child. And there's pain and there's grief that you can't understand unless you've ever been through it. There's a depth of sorrow that permeates every part of who you are. It cuts you and stings you. And it can be that, it can be something else. But Jesus is coming and this, the, these many disciples and these much other people, maybe in the tens, maybe in the hundreds, this may be in the thousands, this large entourage are following Jesus and they, they, don't, they don't understand why they're going this direction. But as they near the city, they hear the unmistakable cry, the unmistakable sound of wailing. Now this funeral was, was particularly difficult, not only because it was her only son, but because she was also a widow. And the Bible doesn't give us an indication as to when the events in her life transpired. But by the fact that she's a widow, you know that she's already been through great loss. You know that she's already suffering difficulty. And because of her son being referred to as a young man, it's also a logical possibility that her husband died prematurely as well. And because her son is young, maybe her husband wasn't as old as was typical in the day for men to pass. Either way, she's lost her husband. And whether you lose him as a young man or you lose him as a less young man, it's hard. It's heartbreaking. It's heartache that stays with you to lose a spouse. And so she loses her husband. But now that grief has been multiplied many times over. Every day that she saw her son smile, she could see her husband. Every day that she had a chance to interact with her son, it was a memory of how good God was to give her and her deceased husband a son to carry on their name and to continue to live out the life that God intended. It was a reminder of the goodness of God. Not only that, but in the absence of her husband in that culture, her son was the one that was going to provide for her and to care for her. But through some event into which we are not given insight in this chapter, this son dies. And she is deprived not only and not most importantly of security and someone to care for her, she is deprived of that that part of her heart that loves him so dearly and just like her husband, her only son is taken in death from her. You should try sometime when you read through stuff like this to imagine what those cries sounded like. It was customary in Jew, Jewish funerals. The, the people of the city, friends, you can read this. She's surrounded by much people. Verse 12 at the end, much people of the city was with her. Some of them would have been what they referred to as 
as, a pro, as professional mourners, and they're people who literally, they came along to help the mourning process. There were much people of the city who knew of this woman. Maybe they remembered just a year ago, or however long ago, the burial of her husband, and walking alongside this mother and her brave son, never thinking that in just a few months' time, they would be walking through the same processional, this time carrying her son out. But there is this woman in the depths of this grief and anguish, and people see how broken and she is. People see how difficult this situation is. People see how hard this is, and yet they have no capacity to help. They can simply just be with her, which is good, which has value, but they don't have the ability to change anything, and so they, they are there with her, and these mourning cries from her, these wails of grief from those who loved her son and who love her, they are going up to the heavens, and it's a scene of awful moaning and weeping and sorrow. And Jesus sees it. Oh, look, Jesus wasn't surprised that this was going on. You say, why did Jesus come when he did? Because he, because he knew who would be there. And he cared about who would be there. Now, I'm, a, I'm amazed at this. I just, I got to pause. This isn't even in the notes. And I just want to thank God for reminding me of this real quick. I've had people say, man, pastor, I needed that message today. You do understand that I don't have the ability to know what you need. Now, you do understand that when a message or a truth hits home to where you're at and where your life, the truth is intersecting with your life. You understand that that's not my genius. I don't have that capacity. I don't have that ability. I don't have the, the mental facility to be able to know and to cause truth to intersect with your life at just the right time or to arrange these things. That is a God thing. That is what God does by the work of his spirit and the power of his word and the effectiveness of his truth being declared, his perfect truth being declared by flawed instruments. God gives us what we need when we need it and he does that because he cares for us. Jesus saw her. He sees the grief. Look at verse 13. He had compassion on her. Jesus cares. Look, I listen. I understand that we can't have or even feel the same emotional response for every single person in this world, but you got to get this. Jesus cares about people everywhere. No, Jesus cares about them. And I'm amazed at how indifferent we can be as children of God. I'm amazed at how indifferent we can be. We can sing songs like, my Jesus, I love thee, and we can weep and we can worship and we can bask in how good it is to be loved by God. And yet we can be surrounded by hurting people and only be concerned about getting the fuel in our car, getting the items on our list, getting our checklist done for that day when there are people that are all around us that are hurting and that are broken and that are in need for someone to stop and to see the agony of their life and the longing of their soul and the wrecks that they have created or that others have created for them. We are surrounded by people that need someone to care about them. Like, well, they're not like me and I don't know and blah, 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 blah. And we have all of the excuses we use to justify. I'm telling you, Jesus sees people and he cares. He wants to care for people through you. No, you are an extension of the ministry of Jesus Christ. No, 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 no. I want eyeballs on this. If you're saved and a child of God, you are intended to be an extension 
of his caring ministry to people who need his love in their life. Now, you can withdraw from it. You can deny it. You can say, that's not my skill set. That's not my ability. I shouldn't really have to deal with that. No, my friend, get it. If you've accepted the love and the grace of Jesus Christ, you are accountable to him to live out that love for other people. You are a vessel. Well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. It has nothing to do with your role in the work of a church. It has nothing to do with the particular gifting or calling on your life. It has to do with your willingness to see people the way that Jesus sees them and to care for them and to love them where they are and understand that God is deeply, genuinely, eternally interested in their life. He wants to care through you. I wonder how many people are just sitting here today and you've checked out on God using you in the lives of others. Well, he, cares about, he cares about caring for people through you. Here. You know why we put such an emphasis on being a family? Because we need to care about each other. Amen. No, look, I, I can't help how everybody else does church. not my business. In the words of my, of my friend and your friend, the former pastor, NMP. Not my problem. I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I don't mean that in a condescending way. I have a hard enough time keeping myself straight. We're in control of what we do here. And we are not going to, by the help and grace of God, we are not going to be the kind of church that is content to come and warm a chair and then kind of high five some people on the way out and be good with it. We are going to work at caring about each other. You know why? Because Jesus cares about the people sitting next to you, and he wants to use you to care for them through you. You say, I don't know what I have to offer. You got nothing to offer. Look, God's not impressed with your ability. God has the ability to use you to make a good difference in people's lives. And this is helpful stuff. God wants to care through you. But hey, here's why you should be motivated for God to care through you. Because he cares for you. It'd be good for some of you to just sit here for a minute and remember when you were at your most wretched. You know, we, like, we, we, we love to think about what everybody else has done. Instead of just having a moment of some honest self-reflection, when your heart was lifted up with pride, when you were lying when you were looking at things on the internet that you knew before God you shouldn't be looking at, when your spirit towards your parents was full of hostility, when you were jealous and envious instead of being thankful for, we need to remember how low we can get. Oh, look, I, I'm not trying to beat anybody up. It's not the intent. I'm just being honest with you. I don't want to forget what I'm capable of. But you know what? Here's the, word, here's the honest truth. And it's, it's the word of God. It doesn't matter how broken you get. He never ceases to care. Man, I can't. I, I'm so, Brother Adam, I'm so thankful for what you said about the prodigal son. I didn't ask him to say that. I don't ask him or Brother Max to say certain things like that. Just trust the Holy Spirit to work. And I'm amazed at how he just works these things together to all fit together in the course of a service. 
because he's the master architect of these things and he can put it together. And I'm telling you, God cares about you. No, there, there, there can be two responses to that. The, the first response can be like, I'm good, I don't really need it. But you will. You think, man, my life's good right now, but it's going to be hard at some point. Because we live in a broken, sin-cursed world, and there are losses, and there are difficulties, and there are trials. And either someone is going to fail you, or you are going to fail, and you're going to need to know that somebody cares about you. And I'm just here to tell you, there's a God who always cares about you. And he comes to you because he cares about you. Then there are some of you that might be thinking, I'm just not, I don't deserve God's care. (laughs) Sweet. I'm just going to sit over here for a second. Somebody's up there saying, somebody's up there saying, you're Jonathan, right? It's nice to meet you. I'm really glad that you're here, bro. You and your wife. I'm just sitting here with you. Pastor's up there saying, man, some of you don't think God deserves to care you, do, you deserve God to care about you. And you know what I would have to say if I'm just being honest? I don't. Because I know what I've been. I know what I can be guilty of. I know where my attitude can be. I know where my heart can be. No, I, it's not about you deserving it. He doesn't care about you because you deserve it. He cares about you because that's who he is. He's a God who loves infinitely and indefinitely and perfectly. And he cares about your life. And you look at your life right now and you say, man, I'm a mess. I've made a mess. Or someone else has made a mess. And it's so hard. I'm telling you, Jesus cares for you. And because he cares... Jesus shows this family that he can. He came because he cares. And because he cares, he can. Do what only he can do. This will make Brother Dave Thomas happy. Larry Bird. Thank you. Let me try it again. Larry Bird. No, no, okay, well, we got three of you. You even, oh, Miss Tina? Anyway, I'll get clarification on that later. Brother Dave, Larry Bird. Amen. Okay. Larry Bird more than once. And there were a couple of times. One, I think it was against the New York Knicks, uh, being guarded by a player named Xavier McDaniel. Another time it was against the Lakers, who were, when he was playing basketball, the Lakers and the Celtics had this amazing rivalry. And there were a couple of times when the Celtics were down And there was just a few seconds left on the clock. And Larry Bird would say to the man that had been guarding him during the game, hey, here's the play. In fact, on one particular instance, the coach was drawing up a play. And Larry Bird listened for a second. And then he said to the coach, can we just stop all this? Can you just give me the ball and get out of the way? (laughs) And so, no, literally, the, the the coach said, okay, forget what I said. Give the ball to Larry and spread the court. Get out of the way. And so he walks onto the court, and he says in particular to Xavier McDaniels, he walks up to him and he says, all right, here's the plan. They're going to pass me the ball. I'm going to get it here. I'm going to take the shot there, and we're going to win the game. And Xavier said, I know you're going to get the ball, and I'm going to be waiting. He gets the ball. He takes the shot. He makes it. 
he makes the shot with a couple of seconds left, and he walks by Xavier McDaniels after they had called another timeout and said, I didn't mean to leave you that much time on the clock. <laughs> Some people look at it and say, that's just cocky. No, 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 wait, wait. Look, look, I'm talking, I'm not, I don't know what Larry Bird's spirit is. I'm just telling you. There's a whole, there's a measure of confidence in that. No, no, I'm, I'm not justifying arrogance. I'm telling you, there is a measure of confidence when you can look at a situation and know, I can do what needs to be done, get it, and nobody can stop me. I, I don't want this to be misunderstood, but Jesus didn't show up on that scene hoping he could help. Jesus showed up on that scene knowing, knowing he could help. You walk up to that, it's crazy. This is, this is insane unless you're God. He stops him because he has compassion. He stops this procession and everything gets quiet. And then he says to the mother, he doesn't, he doesn't look around at anybody else. Can you imagine being surrounded and there's this weeping mother and the grief and the tears are spilling out in a way that she's never felt. And Jesus stands there with his hand on this transport, this, this cot to transport this body. And he looks into her eyes and she says, weep not. That's either lunacy or arrogance, or it's something else. And I believe this is what it is. It's divine confidence. Jesus didn't say, man, I hope I can pull this off. Jesus showed up to help because he knew who he was. He knows what he can do. And he arrived on the scene not hoping he could be what they needed. He arrived on the scene knowing he could be what they needed. Jesus was confident that he could do for her what no one else could. He didn't show up hoping he makes it. He showed up knowing he was going to make it happen. And I'm telling you, the God that was confident there, he's the same God that said to the critics, before Abraham was, I am. He's the same God that in Isaiah is referenced as the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He is the alpha. He is the omega. He is the first. He is the last. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the eternal God in whom all things consist, whether you know it or not. And this God is not uncertain about what he can do in the lives of people. can he shows up because he can so what is in your life that you can't God's not sitting in heaven saying I don't know what to do for them I'm not being cocky I'm not trying to justify I'm, I'm not trying to lower God I just want you to get this we look at someone like Larry Bird and you say, man, that's just cockiness. No, maybe it's confidence that he knows what he can do. And Jesus isn't sitting in heaven saying, I don't really know how I can help them. No, he knows who he is, God. And it's not this arrogant cockiness. It is an awareness of his love for you and his ability to do what only he can do. I just, wanna, I just want you to get this. Jesus is confident in the good that he can do in your life. 
Jesus is confident in the good he can do in your life. So what's the problem then? Well, part of the problem is that we overestimate our bad and underestimate his ability. Let me stick with the, with the basketball analogy for just a second. Man, I grew up playing, loved to play ball. It's a lot of fun. Here's, a, here's what I've said before. Make a bad pass, miss a shot. My bad. My bad. My bad, bro. My bad, bro. People get he- tired of hearing me say, my bad. Like, just don't pass him the ball anymore. <laughs> Have you dropped the ball in your life at some point? This morning, if you could look in a mirror, could you look in the mirror of the word of God and say, man, I've got some serious my bads going on right now. You got some my bads going on that somebody else caused? I've just, I've got this mess and I don't know what God can do with it. Listen, you don't know what God can do with it. I got to find a chair, scoot over. (laughs) Please get this. Just because you don't know what God can do with it doesn't mean God can't do something so amazing that it would make you stand in awe of him. God is confident in what he can do. You say, you don't know how bad my heart is broken. I don't. But I know that God can. Say, you don't know how bad I've messed up. Probably not. But Jesus didn't stop and look at that beer and say, stop. Weep, no, never mind, go on weeping. I can't help you. No, I want, I want you to get it. As, as Christians today, we look at certain situations and we're like, man, I hope you figure stuff out, but that, we just can't do anything for that. No, 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 no. We are going to be eternally optimistic because God. No, you didn't get it. We're, Brother Brian, thank you. We are going to be eternally optimistic because God. No, he can, Brother Brian. He can save people. That seems so far beyond his reach. He can repair people. That seems so broken. He can rescue people. That seems so hurt. He can can bring people out of such selfishness and self-centeredness. He can comfort people that seem so afraid and lonely. He can deliver people that are wrapped up in addiction. He can give people hope and direction that seem to be just floating through life with uncertainty. God can. God is confident in what he can do for you. This morning, if you're not saved, you, you don't know that you would go to heaven when you died, you can know that right now. And it's not because you go to a church, it's not because you get baptized, it's not because your good outweighs your bad, because that's not true for any of us. Our bad always outweighs our good. When we measure ourselves by God, we're all guilty of being sinners. But Jesus is the Savior, and he's sufficient. And it's not this church. It's not any other church. It is a relationship. It is faith in Jesus Christ alone. And if you'll believe in him this moment, he will save you. You know why? Because God can. God is confident in what he can do for you. You're hurting. You're angry. You're upset. You're frustrated. You're doubting. You're uncertain. Keep going through the list. Just telling you, God is confident in what he can do for you. So how do I get myself in a position? It's so simple and I'm done. How do I get myself in a position to benefit from God's confidence in his ability to do good for my, for my life? How do I get myself in that position? It's so simple and it's in the text. 
You know what he told them to do? Stop. Just stop. And let me do what I can do. Some of you, you're just trying to work your way to heaven. And you just need to stop. You need to stop. And you need to recognize that Jesus is the only way. Just stop. Just, just stop. Get your eyes focused on Jesus. Some of you are hurting. And you are consumed in grief and loss. And I'm not, look, there's some things you don't get over, but you can get through them. That's a whole nother message. Look, 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 look. We, but people are allowed to have a hard time, and people are allowed to mourn, and people are allowed to work through difficulties. There are some things you can't get over, but you can get through them. No, you can get through them. But you're going to have to get the focus off of yourself and off of how bad everything is, and you're going to have to get it, off, get it on Jesus Christ and say, I'm going to stop trying to do this my way, and I'm going to let him give me grace to help me through this loss. Help me through this hurt. Help me through this healing process. Some of you are just wrapped up in sin. And in pride, you're just, maybe it's pride itself, or you're just going to hold on to it, and you're going to be like, man, I'm just. And you're going you're gonna to lay waste to things in your life. But if you'll stop, he can forgive. He can restore and some of you have experienced this, he can start putting it back together. No way, anybody who's actually been serious about following Jesus Christ, he's put something back together in your life, whether small or big. He's done it for all of us because we've all made a mess of something in our lives at some point. And he just puts it, puts it back together. So you know what you need to do? You need to stop and humble yourself. God, I need you and you're right. Sorry, Jason. The God... Our Savior came because he cares, because he can. Do what needs to be done in your life. God is confident in what he can do for you. Are you willing to submit to his control, to his authority in your life? You know, the problem is we want what God can do without submitting to his control. You know what they miss? Oh, look, I know he intends well, but we're not stopping. This grief is too heavy. This body is too dead. This sorrow is too great. We're not stopping. We're just going to keep going on our way and you're going to miss what God can do. And some of you are carrying around beers with things that you think. I'm talking about the, that Bible term. You're carrying around these cots with these messes and these tragedies and these failures and these heartaches. And you're looking like, man, I don't know what, what I, I just don't know what can happen. And God is trying to get your attention. Stop. Consider me. Submit. Let me have control, and you're just going to keep passing him by. And every time you come into a service and leave a service with, without responding to God, you keep passing by something God could do in your life. God is confident in what he can do. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. God is confident in what he can do.
you have to surrender control. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around, please. We won't embarrass anyone. I'm not going to come to you in any weird way. I want to ask you, though, to consider what we've talked about this morning. In your life, are there things that you need that are outside of your ability to provide them? Are there situations, are there battles, are there temptations, are there desires, are there dreams, are there heartaches, are there failures, are there losses, are there things outside of where, of your ability to reach? Say, I need something that I can't do. Here's the second question, are you willing to believe that God can? Are you, are you willing to believe that from where you are right now that God can take you to where he desires you to be, that where you're hurting right now, God can heal you, where you're broken right now, that God can restore you, where things ho- seem hopeless like right now, that God can put it back together? Are you willing to believe that God can? Are you willing to believe that if you would humble yourself and come to this altar and get my attention, that we can take the word of God and show you how you can know for sure that you've accepted Jesus Christ and that you're going to heaven one day, not because of a church, not because of a religious motion, but because of a relationship with the Son of God who loves you. Believe that God can. Number three, here's the third question. Are you willing to submit? See, God is confident in what he can do, but he's not gonna force it. You have to be willing to relinquish control of your situation and your life and yield it to God. And sometimes that means stopping. Sometimes that means starting. Sometimes that means humbling and admitting your sin and your selfishness. Sometimes that means giving forgiveness and grace. But it does mean that you relinquish control and you yield yourself to the ability of the one who knows what he can do in your life. God can. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around, would there be anyone who would raise their hand and say, there are areas where I know I need what God can do, but I am struggling to relinquish control like I need to, to submit to him like I need to, and I need God's help. I need to trust that the God who knows what he can do is going to be faithful to me, but I'm struggling to let go of some areas in my life and I need God's help. Would you raise your hand? Yep, I see him all over the place. God bless you. God bless you for your honesty. You can put them down. Thank you. Let me ask this question. If you died right now, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? Nobody looking around. I wonder if there'd be anyone who would, nobody's looking around except for me. There'd be anyone who just simply just raise your hand up real quick and say, I'm not sure that I'm going to heaven. I don't, I don't know that for sure, but I want to know it. Would you pray for me? I see your hand. Thank you. You can put it down. I see it. Thank you. You can put it down. Would there be someone else you'd say, I'm just, I see it. You can put it down. Say, I'm just not sure. For those of you that raised your hand, I'm not going to come to you and embarrass you in any way, but if you'd when we all stand in a moment, there are going to be people that begin to come to the altar. And if you would come and get my attention, we'll, we'll very discreetly 
and carefully show you from the word of God how you can know that you have accepted Jesus Christ as your savior and you can trust him but you have to be willing to come don't worry about what anybody else thinks you come let's all stand together God would you help us to be responsive to you you are the God who knows what you can do in our lives so help us to be willing to submit to what you can do in Jesus name I pray amen while brother Nate sings if God has spoken to your heart you respond